1: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to deal with some Q&A, some questions I've received from listeners and students over the years. Today's issue is single-issue voting. Are Christians too fixated on sexual morality and abortion and some of these single issues that cause us to swing to one party or the other? I'm going to answer this question and more on today's Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to the Rebellion. Thank you for listening to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm going to deal with some Q&A, some questions and answers today. Questions from students, questions from listeners, questions from those um, fellow faculty that I've associated with over the years. And I'll deal with these questions as I have time. I may deal with one or two in a given show, or I may be able to get beyond that and cover more than a couple questions. But for the next several episodes of The Rebellion, I'm going to shift over to q and I think this is sometimes more enjoyable and more fun. It is for me anyway. I actually like the question and the answer format when I go out and speak at churches and whatnot. I often enjoy just sitting uh, on bar stools. Uh, with the head pastor and myself at the front of the congregation and just engaging in some question and answer time, Q&A time. Uh, Often it shifts toward worldview, apologetics, uh, Christian engagement in the public square, in the market square of ideas, political engagement, if you will. Is it appropriate for the church, or do we get too political in the way we exercise our faith on a daily basis? I enjoy this. It's fun. I like talking about it. So, Over the years, I've had several faculty reach out to me and students reach out to me, either asking a serious question or perhaps even directly disputing a position that I might have held or currently hold. And that's the nature of today's show. I'm going to present to you a question that I received, one that I've received over and over again, and essentially is this, are Christians too fixated on single issues, or should we expand our political view, our worldview, to be more Um, complex, more nuanced, as we engage in politics, the market square of ideas, our professions, or just in daily discussion with our friends and families. So with that as context, let's take an early break. And when I get back, I'll give you the exact question, and then I'll give you my response as to whether or not we're too fixated on single issues. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple
0: minutes. and lending a hand to our neighbors in need, sold. The Patriot Auto Group, proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve.
1: Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So, over the years, I've been involved in many debates, obviously, because I made my career, I, my profession was essentially doing that. I think that's what education is. So, As an administrator and sometimes teacher within the academy, within the Ivory Tower, colleges and universities over the decades, I was involved in a variety of debates, good exchanges of ideas. We can call them arguments. You can call them conversations. You can call them debates. You can call them mentoring or just good teaching. That's what questions and answers are all about. I don't disparage that at all. I think that's the way we learn. And that's the spirit and intent for this episode and the several to follow it when we talk about questions and answers. In no way am I mocking or belittling the question. I think questions are good, and I hope my answers are received as a serious attempt to respond to a good question. Now, sometimes the questions I think are faulty, and they're flawed. They're not grounded in good logic or reasonable assumptions, and I point that out, but I try to do so graciously and not just be, you know, condescending or pedantic or, or ornery about the whole thing. So uh, here's, here's a question I've received over and over again, and I think some of you have likewise. It's this argument that Christian voters are too fixated on one or two issues. You know, gay marriage, homosexuality, LGBTQIA, uh, critical theory, uh, we're too fixated on one or two issues. Often it boils down to this, sexual morality and abortion. That's all you guys care about. And you're not complex in your thinking of human rights and economic justice and that type of stuff. In other words, you ignore the bigger problems because you're so fixated on abortion. And you're ignoring all of the plight of human misery. It's across the globe because you're so worried about the unborn. Or you care so much about homosexuality and gay marriage That it's it's myopic. It drives everything else that you think and do. Why don't you guys quit fixating and quit focusing on sex and pay attention to other issues? Another way to say it, and I think this was a direct quote that I received from a student a few years back: Christians need to vote on more than one issue, not just abortion. Why not consider the innocent civilians killed as the result of war? Or all of the women killed in, uh, as a result, women and children that die as the result of poverty or abuse, trafficking and whatnot across the, across the globe in various other countries. Or maybe even here in the United States. Well, I'm going to give you my answer to that question. So let me repeat the question again. Christians need to vote on more than one issue, more than just abortion. Why not consider the innocent civilians killed in wars? Or the women and children that are killed as a result of poverty or slavery or just social injustice. Well, here's my response, and I want you to hear this. I'm going to respond by asking a basic rhetorical question. And as I've said over and over again on this show, sometimes the most effective tool in trying to resolve uh, some deep-seated differences is to ask a question rather than just launch into an argument. So... When we strongly disagree, we often just talk past each other. So a well-placed question can be of much greater value than dozens and dozens of well-worn arguments. So I think we always need to tap the brakes a bit and ask the question rather than launch into the argument or your given position. But the question should be targeted. It should be targeted to expose some fallacies in the questioner, that's what Jesus did. Why do you call me Lord? Do you want to be the one to pick up the stone and the first to throw it? Whose face is on this coin? You know, this is how Jesus engaged when those people around him, his adversaries, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Romans, etc., disagreed with him. So he asked a good question. So here goes. Here's my question to this person who is suggesting that Christians are fixated on single issues. I would first ask the person, why do you say that? <laughs> why do you say that Christians should vote on more than one issue? Aren't you being a little bit presumptuous in implying that single issue voting is really what all Christians do? So the very question itself is a bit fallacious. It lumps everybody together into this category of all Christians, a group of people into one big category. Now, I know that a lot of people, when you respond and say, well, why are you saying we all do this? They'd say, well, I know I'm not saying that everybody does. I didn't mean all Christians. But we need to go back and look at the emotional tone and the content of the original question. It's an all-inclusive critique of those who disagree with the questioner. it's, It's loud and clear. And... I Dare I say that it's presumptuous. It betrays that their argument is weak. It's an indiscriminate casting of the net of criticism because it falls on conservative Christians. They did intend to criticize conservative Christians by saying that we're all single-issue voters. And this is very shallow. And I would argue the questioner needs to be a bit more disciplined in their logic. Do you get my point here? So expose the all-inclusive nature of their claim when clearly they can't defend that because not every quick Christian is a single-issue voter and not every conservative is single-issue. We're more complex to use their language than they're giving us credit for. And here's a second point I'd like to make. Um, when they hold up abortion and war in juxtaposition. I think they've exposed a glaring weakness in their argument. Now now remember, this person said, why don't you focus on some of the bigger issues? Rather than just abortion, why don't you focus on war and all the children that die as the result of war, rather than just fighting this battle of abortion? All right, well, here's my question. The way you pose your question Okay, the way this person poses her question is that war is wrong, right? Because they're suggesting that we should be focused on all of the death that is caused by war. Implicit in that is war is bad, it's evil, it's wrong. And human loss as the result of war is wrong. Okay, on what premise do they make this claim? Is it because they assume that there's value in human life? And if that's the case, Aren't they admitting that the definition of humanness is an objective standard that can never be one group's prerogative to reject or take away? Aren't they basically saying that all human life is unalienable, that it's a right, and that it's endowed to us by our Creator, and never subject to someone else's choice? Obviously, in the case of war. Well, the answer is yes. They're saying that humanness, human life, is of optimal value and that no one has the right to take it away. And that when people die in war, that's evil because all human life is valuable. We're endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. And among them are our life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So when war compromises those rights, it's wrong, correct? Well, yes, they would admit that. So, The matter here is a matter of ontology and epistemology. Okay, now remember what ontology is. It's reality, and epistemology is how do you know it. So, does life exist? Is it real, ontologically? And if so, how do we define it? Or in other words, how do we know it? How do we know what life is? If we believe in the objective reality, the ontological fact of life, and that God is the definer of this reality, then we've got to presume that definitions are his and not ours. Does that make sense? Or another way to say it is we can never presume to wrestle such definitions away from God and unto ourselves. So if the definition of an infant's life is beyond my pay grade, to quote Barack Obama of several years back, When he was talking about abortion, somebody asked him, well, do you believe that a pre-born baby is is human? He said, well, that's beyond my pay grade. I'm not the one to define that. Well, if you believe that the definition of human life, an infant's life, is beyond your pay grade, then the definition of other very important stuff, other very important matters, would likewise be beyond human reason and beyond the responsibility of your job. Okay? So... Matters such as the end of life, and who has the right to determine it, or the quality of life, and who has the right to judge it. Who decides these things? Is it yours to decide? Well, I kind of agree. It is beyond your pay grade. It's not your job to decide it. It's God's job to decide that and to define that. Ontologically, you're real, and epistemologically, you know that you're real. Okay. Ontologically, you know you're human and you have value, and all other human beings do likewise. Epistemologically, we know this by natural law and common sense, since that's common, and by revelation. We know that it's wrong, and the questioner's premise here is that it is wrong. So, we agree, taking human life is wrong. But the momentum of their ideas is interesting here. If you implicitly diminish the value of life through one means, i.e. abortion, you at the same time are minimizing the very standards that you're using to condemn the loss of life by other means, i.e. war or perhaps capital punishment. So the questioner here is sawing off the very branch upon which she sits to make her case. She's trying to say you're too fixated on abortion, but at the same time she's saying you should care deeply about the loss of human life because the loss of human life is wrong. Well, abortion is the loss of human life unless you are going to decide that that human doesn't exist, that that particular human being doesn't warrant the protection of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You're going to essentially assume the definition of humanity as being within your pay grade rather than granting it to God. So that's the the issue here. So I think... I've made my point simply by asking a couple questions, and I can basically stop there. So, If you agree that abortion is a moral tragedy and that the fewer abortions, the better, which this person has said and others have said, then aren't you at least by inference admitting that the victims of, of abortion are human in the first place? Otherwise, why would you care? You wouldn't say the fewer appendectomies, the better. You wouldn't say... The fewer, the fewer tonsillectomies, the better. No, you don't care. It's not a moral issue, a moral discussion. If your tonsils are bad, you take them out. If your appendix are bad, likewise, just remove them. It's not as if it's a moral imperative to reduce the number of appendectomies and say, well, the fewer, the better. Well, I guess just for the sake of being healthy, the fewer, the better. But it's not as if there's some moral loss by executing or terminating the appendix or the tonsils, okay? So there's a difference here. So the admission of human value, all right, that admission basically makes the entire argument of choice something that you have to abandon. It has to be just discarded as vacuous because at no time in legal or ethical history has one person's choice ever been rightly elevated about another person's right to live, Has it? If so, I want you to tell me, when does one person's choice ever trump another person's right to live? And in fact, this person is implicitly suggesting that by admitting that war is wrong and that the loss of life, women and children in particular, they're referring to is a bad thing. All right, now I want to go back to this issue of war. Are you saying that all war is wrong? And if so, aren't you being a little bit of an extreme pacifist in your position? And as long as you're consistent, that's fine. But if you're going to be like Augustine and argue for a just war theology, then I think the assumption here is a bit erroneous to equate killing of innocent children with all casualties of war. My point here is that the debate must start with the question of what is just and who determines its definition. Does man or God? Is it political power or is it divine revelation? What, what serves as the context for defining justice? So is the killing of millions under the banner of choice any different? Is it, does it have any different moral weight than the loss of thousands as a consequence of war? You get my point here? We're killing millions and millions of innocents under the banner of choice. And somehow this person is equating that and saying it has the same moral weight as the loss of maybe a few thousand as the consequence of war. So if this person, this questioner, is going to equate the two and say they're both equally evil, then by default they should be working as hard to stop one as the other, right? They should be working just as hard to stop abortion as they are to stop war. Or maybe they should be working harder to stop the one that results in greater quantitative loss, which in this case is abortion. Millions and millions are being killed via abortion, as opposed to uh, evil as it may be, sad as it may be, but a few thousand that are killed as the result of war. So if you're going to minimize one evil to justify the attention that you give to another, then you're subjectively betraying that your entire argument has nothing but a personal construct as its foundation. And it's no better or worse than the warmonger or the despot that you're protesting against, because the warmonger or the despot is justifying their action because of their personal constructs. I hope I'm making sense here. So, and here, I want to say a final word about social justice, which is implicit in this question. Is it possible that those on the right might actually? treasure justice as much as those on the left? Okay, that's a question we might want to ask. And that it is not really a matter of debating values. Okay, that's not what we're debating here. Conservatives value justice just as much as liberals or progressives value justice. Okay, it, we're, we're not debating values such as mercy and love and compassion. To suggest that conservatives don't care about those things will prove it. Well, they can't. We do care about those things. So it's not a matter of values as much as it is a debate of methods. We're not debating values, mercy, love, compassion, life, as much as we're debating methods, i.e., how do we achieve those goals? So conservatives might actually cherish freedom and liberty and justice just as much as their liberal counterparts they just, we just might have a different perspective on how to obtain those things. How do we get there? So I, I get irritated with that all the time, as if progressives are the only ones who care about poverty, who care about the homeless, who care about giving people a way to improve their themselves, care about good education. No, I care about all those things just as much I might even care about those things more than some of my progressive counterparts because I believe every human being is made in the image of God and we can't destroy or ignore any of our brothers and sisters, our fellow human beings. Now, I'm going to give you a personal note here. I've shared it before, but I want to I wanna put this in context of my past. I was once much more progressive, if you will, than I appear on the show, than I sound like when I'm talking to you right now. I was pro-choice at one time. I used to be, I I, I don't know if leading voice is fair or not, but I was leading in a political campaign in Michigan as a campaign manager for an incumbent state representative who was pro-choice. And I was supporting her position. She was a Republican, a pro-choice Republican, ironically enough, running against a pro-life Democrat. And I remember going door to door for her and saying, "Uh, Mary Keith Ballantyne doesn't believe in abortion. She just doesn't believe you can legislate morality. I was part of that crowd, that you can't legislate morality crowd. But I obviously don't hold that position anymore, and there are several reasons for it. Here's the first one, and it's the foremost one. I have concluded that that argument doesn't make any sense. And I mean that literally. The you-can't-legislate-morality argument makes no sense. There is no sense, no logic, no intellectual integrity, and no moral consistency in that argument. Why? Well, legislation, if it is nothing else, is always, always based on morality. I'm going to say that again. Legislation, all legislation. I don't care whether it's a law against speeding, a law against stealing, or a law against murder. Legislation, all legislation, if nothing else, is always based on morality. Because otherwise, there's nothing to legislate. <laughs> the entire process becomes meaningless. Okay? You have speed limits because of the moral assumption that going too fast could hurt others. You have laws against stealing because of the moral assumption that you have no right to take something that's not yours and that private property is something that should be preserved and honored. There are laws against homicide and murder because you have no right to take somebody else's life. That's wrong. All of these things assume right and wrong. They are predicated on moral assumptions. Uh, Wilberforce. Let's go back and talk about Wilberforce. Or let's talk about Wesley. John Wesley, Charles Wesley, William Wilberforce, and a host of others. They all recognize this. Chuck Colson recognized this. Martin Luther King Jr. recognized this. Everybody recognizes this, okay, that there are moral assumptions to every political movement. The, the argument of the left is laden with moral assumptions, that it's wrong for the wealthy to hoard all the wealth and not redistribute it to everybody else. That's a moral assumption. Now, I may disagree. I may disagree with how they want to accomplish economic justice. I don't think redistribution is the way to do it. I believe in capitalism rather than communism. But communism in and of itself is grounded in a moral assumption, and that that is the people, the commune, the collective should have the power to rise up and tell the despot to back off, that we will rise up with our clenched fist of communist overthrow in power. It's a moral assumption, okay? So, at times, there were great leaders like Wilberforce and Wesley, who might have been dangerously close to being single-issue voters. And John Wesley famously, famously declared that you must be singular or be damned. He said, the way to hell has nothing Singular in it. The way to heaven has singularity written all over it. You must be singular or be damned. And Wilberforce, you know, he in like manner spent decades with near tunnel vision arguing to abolish slavery. Tunnel vision, slavery. That was his thing. Because he also agreed that the definition of personhood was not his to make and was therefore not above his pay grade. Okay? Oh, And by the way, Wilberforce also felt that it was his responsibility to vote for the restoration of manners, not just against slavery, but the restoration of manners. And what did he mean by that? A return to the humility and modesty and civility that comes from considering the law and the logos as the singular standard that is better than these baser proclivities of human desire and animal instinct, and personal passions that we're elevating right now in the political arena. So, I don't know. Maybe single-issue voting isn't that bad after all, if you define it within the context of Wesley and Wilberforce. You must be singular or be damned. The way to hell has nothing singular in it. The way to heaven has singularity written all over it. You must be singular or be damned. John Wesley said he was a man of one book, a single book. What was he referring to? The Bible, the revelation of God. So focus is not bad. Determination is not bad. The, the uh, commitment to go after one thing, one goal, with the tenacity of a Wilberforce to accomplish it, arguing for over 20 years on the floor of the British Parliament for the abolition of slavery, and, and not relenting, Or even Churchill, never give up, never give up, never give up. Determined in a singular fashion to defend liberty. The British Isles, Great Britain, against the despotism of Hitler and the Nazi regime. Single-issue focus is not bad. But this argument from the left that we're single-issue voters and that we don't care about anything else is nonsense. It's nonsense. It makes no sense. It also betrays their fallacious reasoning, their lack of logic. Because if you're going to argue with me that capital punishment is evil and that war is bad, then fine. Fine. Make your case. But don't do so while at the same time telling me that I'm giving too much attention to protect the innocent lives that are being murdered, executed as a result of the abortion industry. We're both on the same page here. We're both arguing for the value, the dignity of the human being, for the Imago Dei. We're both saying that human beings have greater value than dogs, pigs, cats, or cows, or, or viruses. We're both, we're both arguing for the biblical worldview, that human beings have greater value than the rest of creation. All of us are on the same page, progressives and conservatives. We just need to admit it, and we need to make our arguments consistently. So, if you're going to tell me that we're single issue voters while you are singularly focused on social justice then you've sought off the branch upon which you sit. You're like a dog chasing your tail. You're making no sense. So let's just admit that human beings have value, that all human beings have value, and that the misogyny of the left towards women is wrong, and that the careless execution of the most innocent among us is evil. And yes, war is bad thing too. Slavery's a bad thing. Rape's a bad thing. All these things are bad and we're all focused on eliminating them. And that's the definition of a biblical worldview and the only definition of justice that's going to work. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion.